This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything that we've been covering on 28th of November. It is a Monday and we are back at it. We're back at it having a look at the Abu Dhabi growth numbers. Just over 11% growth. We've been putting them in context with one of our favourite economists, Dr Christopher Payne, Chief Economist at Peninsula Real Estate. We've also been chatting to the CCO, the Chief Commercial Officer at Emirates, Adnan Kazim. They've just opened a massive travel agency, basically, uh, down in Jumeirah. We have been finding out why they're investing 100 million dirhams into bricks and mortar stores. Plus, with a load of desert development going on in Dubai, we've been speaking to one landscape architect and urban planner. All of that, plus looking at Black Friday sales numbers as well. We've been looking back on the weekend that was a busy old weekend, a busy weekend for football fans, a busy weekend for rugby fans, a busy weekend for sports fans, and a busy weekend, Brandy Scott, for shoppers. <laughs> yeah, it's been, well, it's been back Friday. This morning it is Cyber Monday. The initial numbers are trickling out. Uh, surveys done before the shopping weekend started, and this is... Well, they call it the Thanksgiving shopping weekend, but it's kind of the beginning to, to Christmas. So you've got this whole big period that starts with the Black Friday sales and finishes with the January sales after after Christmas. And it's traditionally called Black Friday because, Richard Dean? Because that's the day that retailers go into the black. You Basically, the, the tradition was you lose money for 11 months of the year as a retailer in the United States. But on Black Friday, suddenly you switch into profit and you make all you've got <laughs> about five weeks to make your profit, hence in the Black Friday. Yeah. So uh, we were not expected. Well, it depends where you live. Boston Consulting Group had surveyed a load of shoppers. They found that Americans were expected to increase their spend. But those in the UK and Europe expected to do the opposite, to tighten their belts by as much as 20%. We've got the first numbers out from the guys at Adobe. They look at the online sales, not people physically going to stores. Uh, They say it's been a record year, $9.12 billion spent, 2.3% up on the year before. But if you take high inflation pretty much everywhere into account at the moment, it might not be that people are buying more, they're spending more, if you follow me. Stuff is more expensive. Let's get the thoughts of Ed Bell, Senior Director of Market Economics, Emirates MBD. He looks at this, to use your phrase, Brandy, it's a bit of proxy data, isn't it? The the Black Friday sales numbers. How is the American economy doing? We asked Ed what the key macroeconomic takeaways were from Black Friday sales data. It looks like retailers had a fairly successful Black Friday that day after Thanksgiving in the United States, where there's a lot of discounts and sales on offer. According to some recent data out, online spending was up more than 2% on Black Friday, slightly better than forecast. It does look like there is probably more of a shift to online purchasing just because of there is some weather disruptions in parts of the U.S., keeping the kind of footfall out of actual bricks and mortar retail stores. By and large, the retail side of things, the consumer 
consumer spending element in the United States has held up pretty well this year, even with the amount of rate hikes that we have seen. We still have a decent labor market in shape and decent wage growth, so that is helping to support consumers even as inflation remains quite high. If we look at retail sales, for instance, in the last month, and you strip out things like gasoline and food costs, they actually accelerated and were up by almost 1% month-on-month in October. So... Nominally, good sales data is a record, fine, but Reuters has quite a gloomy take on this. This is what the news agency says. Thin crowds of inflation-weary consumers hunted for Black Friday deals at stores in big cities in the United States. And they go on to quote various people saying it was a bit of a damp squib. They quote someone called Marshall Cohen, who's an advisor at NPD Group. They're a research company that track these things. And he says, usually at this time of year, you struggle to find parking. This year, I haven't had an issue getting a parking spot. And part of that is, as you mentioned, it's it's weather related. It's not been great weather this weekend. But one doesn't get an impression that anyone's thinking this was a, a boom Black Friday. No, I don't. I don't think it does. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing the numbers, though, come out here in the UAE. Uh, I think we can expect those in the last couple, next couple of days. There are a couple of retail agencies that crunch those. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Where we are looking at the latest official numbers out of Abu Dhabi when it comes to GDP, growing for the first half of this year at just over 11%. Very pleased to be joined on the line by Dr. Christopher Payne, uh, Chief Economist at Peninsula Real Estate. Dr. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Brandy. How are you? I am well. And so, it would seem, is the Abu Dhabi economy. Let's put that 11% for the first half in context. How does it compare with what we're seeing globally? Well, I think it's probably the highest rate uh, that we're seeing globally. I mean, as as you know, I mean, the, the sort of headwinds in other parts of the world are tremendous interest rates, uh, fiscal squeeze, cost of living crisis. This is what we've heard out of the UK, for instance, in, uh, very recently. Not a bit of it uh, in Abu Dhabi. Really incredibly strong growth. And, and what's really important about this growth is that it's broad based. So if you look at the non-oil uh, GDP growth in the first half of 2022, it's 12%, so slightly more than the 11% of the total economy. And, and that that's incredibly important because oil oil GDP is really just about production. It's not about prices, it's about production. And most people are obviously employed outside the oil and gas sector. So 12% non-oil GDP growth, very broad-based, very positive. Let's dig into um, some of what we know about that non-oil GDP. Um, We've seen some incredible growth rates for different sectors of the economy, including hospitality and food services, up 30-odd percent. Is that just a post-COVID story? Is that just business coming back or is it more than that? I mean, I think in that sector, and I think also in somewhere like retail trade, um, then it's very much the recovery. So, Actually, one of the one of the interesting things is to look at the first half of 22 and compare it to the first half of 2019. Um, and what you discover is that the economy is is now bigger. It's about 
3% bigger than it was. So we are now beyond or we're, that the Abu Dhabi economy is bigger than it was pre-COVID. And interestingly, if you, get, if you look at something like accommodation and food services, although it's grown very strongly, it actually remains about 10% smaller than it does at the first half of 2019. So it's still playing catch up in some extent. Um, but then other parts of the economy obviously are, are beyond where they were in 2019, which is why overall, um, you know, Abu Dhabi has recovered. That, that's the good news. But because of these sectors still slightly playing catch up, there is still, still leeway for more growth. What are you putting that recovery down to other than just the loosening of restrictions and the world moving around again? 11% growth in an economy for six months. Is that a population growth story? Is it an efficiency story? Is it an expansion story? If you were to put um, a headline on it, Dr. Chris, what would that headline be? I'd say there's two things. I, I think we have to be honest that there is a recovery element to it. Um, and it, and it's very good to see. But I think that there's another side to it, which is, is that Right now, Abu Dhabi is a very, very strong fiscal position. As I said before, there are many other parts of the world that spent huge amounts of GDP to support economies um, during COVID. Um, and that, you know, are now struggling. You know, the UK is a classic example. Everyone knows about it. But here, of course, in, in, in the UAE and in, in Abu Dhabi, um, you have oil and gas revenues. Um, you didn't have the same kind of level of fiscal support during COVID. So now incredibly strong fiscal surpluses. So you're not seeing any drag, any kind of fiscal drag, any austerity measures. Uh, it's not to say that the government have just opened the fiscal taps and spending, that they're committed to fiscal sustainability, but you're not seeing that factor, which we, which we actually had seen in the, in the past few years before COVID came along. So there are a couple of reasons that mean that growth is sustainably high. I mean, it's impossible to continue to the rates it's at at the moment. The economy is already bigger um, than it was pre-COVID. Um, but yes, you know, population coming back in, um, growth can continue, say, into 2023 at about 4%, which again is, is, is very healthy uh, and makes Abu Dhabi uh, a bright spot in the world. Let's have a look at some of those other sectors that have seen significant growth. What do the real estate and the construction numbers tell us, Dr. Chris? I just think that, it's, I mean, real estate, I think Abu Dhabi, I mean, we all talk about Dubai's real estate market um, and it's been booming. And I think that some of that is is obviously, uh, you see some of that in the, those kind of uh, particular areas in Abu Dhabi, uh, whether it be Sadiat Island. I mean, villas in Sadiat Island are in incredibly popular um, in the same way that we see huge demand on the palm. Um, so th those investment areas in Abu Dhabi are also benefiting hugely in the same way that Dubai is. Uh, lots of foreign capital coming into the market. It's been, been a weak market for many years. So there's obviously a, a turnaround story there and a real attractiveness uh, to the UAE as, as an investment destination. And, and construction, um, broadly speaking, a lot of it, there's a lot of building, there's a lot of investment projects, there's a lot of road building um, across Abu Dhabi. Um, and obviously that's coming back into play um, after the pandemic as well. So th those two sectors, you know, really saying we're getting back to where we are, were. And it, when real estate is, is concerned, we're seeing new fresh demand for real estate in the UAE generally that is actually a sort of a, a new phenomenon and very good for the economy, obviously. You mentioned a lack of austerity um, a little bit mm. earlier, Dr. Chris. Um, how long can Abu Dhabi and the UAE withstand some of the, the global headwinds that, that we are seeing and, and talking about? How immune are we from them? So according to the IMF, 
um, fiscally speaking, you know, the, the economy as a whole, so the general government, so all government spending, if you take that into account in the UAE, um, the budget, so the government breaks even with an oil price of about $65 to $70 a barrel. Um, and so, you know, when we're talking $80 plus a barrel, then absolutely that there's, you know, we've still got a significant fiscal surplus. Um, if the oil price drops, if we would see oil prices around about $60 a barrel. I don't think that would in any way initiate another round of spending cuts, in actual fact. I think, you know, I, don't, I think it would be steady as steady as, as steady as she goes in terms of government spending. Um, but that's the kind of level. If you started seeing oil prices below $60 a barrel, then you might start to see uh, a sort of more of a headwind effect, global headwind effect hitting the UA economy. Dr. Christopher Payne, Chief Economist at Peninsula Real Estate, thank you so much for your time this morning. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Emirates opening a travel store in the middle of Jumeirah. Very pleased to be speaking this morning to the airline's Chief Commercial Officer, Adnan Kazim. Adnan, it's lovely to see you again. Good morning. Morning. Likewise. Uh... So last time we spoke, we were in Washington. Yeah, it was quite interesting time, I think, we had in Washington with uh, the United Deal, I think, which is quite shaping up now, I think, for us. We're moving quite forward. Already we announced the interline bit, uh, which we're moving now to the co-chair, uh, which is under final test of IT, so it should be out, I think, soon as well, uh, which is quite interesting. Well, there you go, a little bit of news I was not expecting. <laughs> What we are talking about this morning, though, is on the ground rather than up in the air. The new store that you've opened up to sell flights in Jumeirah. Why are you physically selling us in person flights and holidays? I mean, for us, it's uh, quite an important strategy of the company to revamp and uh, lift up the standard and the quality that we offer to our consumer. And the retail is quite an important component to that. Uh, Normally, it contributes anything between 7 to 8% of the total revenue, which is quite big in terms of what we get. And many times in many places in the world that um, we want to get closer to the consumer. So I think this retail shop that we're announcing today is more about more personalization, more closing to the consumer, uh, giving everything under one package that we didn't have in the past. Uh, it was bits and pieces, uh, uh, but that's coming along with a revamping. Yeah in terms of the the look and feel as well. So tell me about the revamping, because you've been in town centre before. You've long had a presence there. How have you upgraded that? This shop will come in more like uh, people can come in and get everything under one sort of, uh, uh, under one desk when he sits with a a travel consultant from Emirates Holidays to Skyward to to selling and and buying the ticket. it's a space that's quite open. I mean, you can get a new modern look and feel, which is reflecting to what's happening in Emirates today. The onboard product, uh, exactly what, what we're doing in terms of the revamp. Uh, uh, this, this shop will come in with a lot of technology and, and, and virtual realities. So while you are sitting there, you want to get more information about uh, the product onboard in terms of the, the seats and uh, what we offer on the 380 from uh, the pitches and so you can get that uh, virtual reality uh, while you're sitting. You can do a selfie f- uh, picture while you're sitting again as, as part of entertaining. Uh, all the screens, marketing screen that we're putting, the LEDs, they're all uh, dynamic screens. Um, so even though this is a pilot uh, outlet that we're, that we're putting, 
But in future, once we open more than 100 or maybe 150 outlets, uh, we can control everything from Dubai in terms of the messaging, in terms of the tactical that we run, in terms of the, the product that we offer. Everything will be like through the screen that will be sitting in the office. Uh, uh, we call it this one the Emirates Wall because we brought in everything together. Uh, beside the Emirates Holidays, beside the, the Skyward that we mentioned, we have our merchandise as well there. So you can buy Emirates uh, goodies down there. You can get Costa coffee while you're waiting, sitting and there. Uh, and we brought in the, the flavor that you get on board, the Gulf tree, which is, again, reflecting the culture of UAE today uh, in terms of uh, what, what, we, what we offer. So, so we can try to blend between the modern look and feel, but maintaining uh, our uh, culture as well as part of it. You mentioned 100 to 150 stores there. What's your plan and time out for time for rollout? We're looking within uh, a period of three years to revamp uh, all these shops. I mean, we have many shops today in many places in Africa and subcontinent and Far East and in Europe and United States. So part of our objective is to bring this pilot thing uh, that we're doing in, in, in Dubai today to be reflected in all the stations and outside the station that will go through the phases. We're talking about three years, uh, $100 million investment that we're putting, uh, and they come in in a different uh, Shapes. I mean, the small shop that we have in outside the station, we do the kiosk, we have even something maybe bigger. We can have the travel uh, sort of shops, we call it, uh, which is a bit slightly bigger than, than the kiosk. And this one is the biggest, uh, like, like a role model, I think, in terms of how we do. Uh, so we have different type of shops for different spaces that we have in outside, uh, in outside the station. But for us, we want to get closer to the consumer. Uh, the whole objective behind these retails is how we can get to that one-to-one -one consumer uh, attention, that's, uh, that's, uh, which is important, I think, in our business uh, today in terms of uh, the product offering. Well, let's talk about your business. I've got two minutes left with you. Emirates as a whole, we had your first half profit just a few weeks ago. But how is this last quarter now looking for you? It's looking quite positive. I mean, we haven't seen any dip coming in terms of the booking or in terms of the demand. Uh, flights are sitting quite uh, in a very healthy load as we progress from that end, which was end of September. Uh, and even we're seeing that the, uh, there is a spike coming in in month of January and December. Uh, but but uh, but even I think if I look at it from October and, and November, normally they come as a shoulder months. Uh, they dip a little bit in terms of the booking, but we haven't seen that. I mean, we have seen a very healthy booking continuing. Dubai is quite uh, crowded, is popular, and and I think we're seeing a bit of the. Uh, the impact coming in from the World Cup as well, where many people basing themselves in Dubai, they shuttle between Dubai and uh, and Doha with flight Dubai from the uh, DWC. Uh, so yes, I think uh, from what I hear from the, the hoteliers, they're doing anything between 90-95% occupancy today. And Sheikh Zayed Road is, is really a reflection of the traffic, I think, of what's happening in Dubai as well. One minute left with you. We had the AirAsia boss, Tony Fernandez, on last week. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him, which was about global flight prices. They're high at the moment. How long do you think they'll stay elevated? Well, I think the prices are driven by the uncertainty, I think. Today, uh, we don't predict uh, or we cannot predict how the fuel will shape up. We cannot predict how the currencies are shaping up uh, 
the inflation is left and right, I think, with many, many countries. Uh, uh, the, the cost of the ground handling, the cost of catering, everything is coming at around the uh, uncertainties, which, uh, which we try to manage it together. Capacity in the world is still not coming back to the normality, I think. If I look at it from where it stands today, I think it's sitting at anything between 70 75% uh, recovered from the pre-pandemic side. Uh, and there is a growth in the demand coming more than I think what expected even uh, pre-pandemic. So I think they are all driving the demand and supply, I think. So from what we see it, uh, it may not come down soon. I think something will continue at least for anything between six months to one year, I think. This, this trend will continue. Uh, we don't see any, any, any decline coming in for reasons I mentioned uh, earlier. Thank you for your frankness. Adnan Kazim is the Chief Commercial Officer at Emirates Airline. We appreciate your time this morning. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's get some more detail on one of the big stories of the past 24 hours, which is the new comprehensive plan here in Dubai to develop the Emirates countryside into touristic destinations. The development plan announced by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid yesterday includes a 100-kilometre scenic route, natural reserves and areas to practice desert sports. Joining us now live in the studio is landscape architect, urban planner and founder of Calc Studio here in Dubai, Anna Maria Castillo. Anna Maria, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Good morning. So what was your reaction to this news? I think it's fantastic. Dubai has been placed on the map for all the good reasons. And I think people are looking forward to more opportunities that connect you to heritage and culture and that are linked to mental and physical health. And I think this is catering to that. So I agree with you, but just to play devil's advocate for a second, I would say, nah, people come to Dubai for Dubai bling. They want the world's tallest tower. Burj Khalifa, which, as Thomas says, looks beautiful at the sunrise this morning. The Burj Al Arab. They want the world's biggest shopping mall and so on. What's your response? My response is people really crave connection. Like Dubai bling is amazing and people love it, but people crave real connection and connection to experiences and personal connections to sites. So I think that's the reason why rural tourism and ecotourism has been really really um, well accepted throughout the world and it could be a wonderful experience for Dubai. Okay, cool. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm sold on the idea. What have we learned from other, to use your phrase, rural tourism projects here from an economic perspective? Because as well as being a landscape architect, you're also an urban planner. So you work on these projects. What have we learned from places like Maliha and Sharjah and, and the development of that Bronze Age um, settlement areas like Hatta, we could even throw into that as well. Russell came with the mountains. I could go on. What have we learned from these other developments in the UAE? So I think the key item here is that throughout the development phase, there has to be a great investment in research and in good strategies. Strategies that place the people first, the local people of the place, and involve them in the, de- in the development, and strategies that try to understand what visitors want. So that links them to a place that is economically feasible for their residents, and then something that's interesting for the tourists. So Sheikh Mohammed himself spoke, and this is a direct quote, The plan will bring direct economic returns for the people residing in these areas. Now, they're rural, so they're relatively sparsely populated. But 
What does history tell us about how they can make economic returns? Sure, you can open up a, a, a store or a coffee shop selling bottles of Masafi or whatever it may be. But what else can they do? It's all about the experiences. It's all about going to the urban farm in the middle of nowhere and learning about how the products are grown. It's about going to the camel racing place and learning about the family. It's about eating a meal that's prepared by locals and and it's about understanding where the roots are. What can we learn, not just from other places here in the UAE, and Alain does this well also, I, I could go on, but globally, you're from Costa Rica, where you have a lot of national parks, the United States famous for its national parks. What's international best practice and what can we learn from that? I think international best practice is designs, first of all, need to be centered and catered to the people living in the place. You cannot displace them. They have to be incorporated into design and they have to be main actors in the development and they have to have a sense of ownership of what's happening. They need to be involved from the first moment. And then... I guess the, that doesn't always happen, does it, it realistically? It doesn't always happen. And that's why placemaking is so important because it links people and place and it links people that live there but it also links people that will visit there and this is why strategies before these projects are come to life are so important uh, and how do you do this sympathetically i mean one of my favorite family holidays that we had a few years ago was yosemite national park in the united states which i think has been done you know relatively tastefully yes the development there there are buildings there but within the park itself there are there are limited development. Where's done this really well, Anna Maria? Uh, so heritage con conservation, I think a lot of Latin American countries have done it really well. Mexico it has really strict rules about what can be developed and under what architectural style to stay within their rules. This has to be government directed how much can be built, how it can be built. I think for the UAE, having a major sustainability flag for this will be very important. Cool. I, I mean, I, and I'd give a shout out to Sharjah and Maliha for doing that really yes. well. The visitor centre there is, is beautifully and tastefully done and does mix with the local architecture, uh, with the, the local landscape. Finally, uh, sports and activities. We've heard our colleague Nadia talking about balloon rides there. Um, there's also going to be... Um, Desert bashing, you, you will be able to take a car there. How do you balance that, having mechanized sports with preserving the, the landscape? There has to be a very, very strong strategy to what areas will be preserved and what areas will be touristic because we know the weight of the cars has a deep impact in what happens below the sand, which is where actually all of the life is. So the project needs to be segregated into different areas in order for it to be successful. Anna Maria, thanks very much indeed for joining us this morning. Anna Maria Castillo, landscape architect, founder of Calc Studio. Can't let you go. We've got 20 seconds left. Anna Maria, you're from Costa Rica. Big day yesterday. 2-0 victory against Japan. Your husband was in Doha for it. Yeah. How was that day? Ah, absolutely amazing. I didn't really have much hope. But uh, they pulled through. And you never know with sports, right? It can go from a 7-0 to a 1-0, and then you feel like the world is, you know, yours. Well, good luck against Germany later on this week. Anna Maria, thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.